Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming up on this week's Gagan Pressing, the Bundesliga is back from its short winter pause. Manu and Chris look at an intriguing encounter between Stuttgart and Leipzig. Will Eintracht Frankfurt sign Joshua Zerki? Peter Bosch's comments on Bayern after Leverkusen's stumble. Jaden Sancho's New Year, New Me. And could Bayern cope with a loss of David Alaba? That's all coming up in the next 40 minutes on Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied. Was mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht, komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast von der Football Grad Network. I am not Bryce Dunn, I am Manuel Feit. I'm sitting in for Bryce Dunn today hosting this podcast because Bryce is unfortunately sick and I want to I wanna say get better soon, buddy. Um, we can do this without you today. Um, get lots of sleep, lots of rest. But I am not completely alone. Chris? Chris Williams, as always, joining me on the show. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, Manu, thanks. I am not um, suffering from food poisoning, unlike Paul Price, so that's, so you won't find me running off to the toilet halfway through. I, I have to give it to Price, though. He really wanted to do it. I had to kind of tell him off not to because of that very reason. But Chris, got lots of disgust this week. Um, lots of football, lots of interesting results. And I, we want to start with what I call the New York Derby. Um, people will got probably be a bit confused why I use that term, but um, Stuttgart against Leipzig. That was a match that featured a lot of US content. And we, I know we have a lot of US listeners, so I wanted to start with that game. Pellegrino Materazzo has been so excellent for Stuttgart and has been leaving a mark on the Bundesliga. And we have praised him quite a bit in the last show. Facing probably his biggest technical task by playing against Julian Nagelsmann's Leipzig side. And... You know, I didn't really realize that until before this game. The two actually have a pass together, Matarazzo working under Nagelsmann. Looking at this game, do you think, I mean, obviously Leipzig won it, but do you think Matarazzo has um, has done enough to really, you know, um, get the best of his former teacher? <laughs> yeah, I think he has, because if you look at the two sides together, um, obviously one's a lot stronger than the other. One's a Champions League semi-finalist and was prior to um, today's games top of the league so I think coming away from Leipzig um, with a with a 1-0 defeat isn't a particularly bad thing um, I think Stuttgart are exceeding expectations at the moment I think they'll be very happy where they are in the league and and yeah Maserazzo has done a tremendous job I and mean, he's one of the coaches of the season so far last week or last episode we spoke about winners and losers you picked Stuttgart I spoke uh, I picked um, Union Berlin as, as the winners and you know both teams both these teams are doing fantastic but yeah Maserazzo again showed that his Stuttgart side are well set up especially in midfield I think they're very good yeah I, I actually thought you know I went on a different show and promised fireworks for this game so um, if you're listening to both those podcasts then I apologize because it wasn't quite fireworks but I thought it was tactically it was quite an interesting game and um you know, I think that if Matarazzo had gone for the fireworks, he would have probably been bested in, in many ways. And this result would have gone 
um, sideways for him really quickly. And I thought that he actually handled this tactically quite well. As for Leipzig, Chris, there was a quite a lot of frustration with Nagelsmann's reactions on the bench. And we both know Nagelsmann's, we've been both Nagelsmann at press conferences. He is someone who is very ambitious. So seeing his side play the way they have must have been extremely frustrating for him at times. Yeah, I think this this particular season is a very strange season and Julian Nagelsmann expects the, the highest quality from his sides. Although I thought they were a little under par, they still did create a lot of chances. They had retained a possession more, 56% of possession. I know possession can be a strange statistic because it's not how long you have the ball, it's what you do with it. But even though they were up on those percentages, they still carved out 22 shots. Um, disappointedly, I think this is where Nagelsmann's frustration goes through. Um, only half of them, um, were on target, and of course that only yielded the the one goal. You know the miss penalty, also um, tremendous save. But um, you would expect Leipzig to be converting more of these opportunities. It's something they had a problem with a little bit, maybe last season, the season before. But you knew that Timo Werner, if he had three chances, he would score a goal. And, and over a match, like I remember, he played against Mainz, he had like ten chances and scored four. So he would be able to get the goals. And I think it was all about the win. Had they drew um, Leipzig, had Leipzig drew, I think it would have shown more of a problem. But enabled to be able to dominate the game and to still win it, um, and win it against a really good opponent in the end who was very, very tricky, I think that shows a good sign for them. Maybe last season or the season before, I, I think it's two drop points away from home here. Yeah, I actually agree with you 100%. Watching this game, I really thought too, like, there was periods where you kind of felt like Leipzig were going to drop points here, which is, of course, it wouldn't have been great for the league. I want to point out um, Tyler Adams, who I thought at times had a good good game, played at right back for, for Leipzig once again. And I know that for a lot of people listening from the States, this is something that they really have focused on, on Tyler Adams' position and what his best position is. I, I personally still think he is the best position is in central midfield. You see at times when he plays as a right back, he, he interprets the role more as a player who is more comfortable, more of the center of the pitch and um, why he's very good in transition play, which can help him playing, of course, at right back. Um, you can see it's not the, almost the most comfortable pl- place in, on the lineup for him. Um, another player who has been extremely comfortable, and Chris, this has been a player ever since he's joined Leipzig, one of the best signings we've had in the Bundesliga. Is another another player with a New York connection. Um, played for New York City FC before playing for Manchester City. Is on loan for Manchester City. Leipzig have a buy option for him at the end of the season, and it's probably pretty safe to say that Angelino will stay at Leipzig the way he's been playing this year. Yeah, I mean he's been a revelation considering he is predominantly you know a left back who can who can play in that left midfield area, but he is known. Um, as being a left-back, high marauding wing-back, I think they call him these days. And he, you know, he's chipped in with plenty of goals uh, of late. He, I mean, there was at one point earlier on in the season where he just couldn't stop scoring. It's, it sort of dried up a little for him now. But um, yeah, he's, he has been playing very well. And I think he's got that flexibility and it allows him to play slightly further forward because he's playing on that left-hand side of, of a midfield um, four, really, with Campbell as defensive role. Um, and it enables him to get forward. But what he does, he's able to drop back as well and to cover um, Hassenbergers who can help him out in defence as well. I think maybe that's the difference between him and, and Adams in those positions. If you've got someone who's naturally a wing back, they can normally play a little bit higher. 
Um, if you've got someone who's a midfielder, they they can struggle to adapt to playing um, in a defensive role. And I don't think Tyler Adams has, has, has struggled at all. I think he's great. Um, I just think that Angelino is probably a little bit better in those defensive roles because of his ability um, built on experience, really. But yeah, he has been tremendous and he always looks a threat going forward. And I think it's very clever from Nagelsmann to just push him slightly further forward. A lot of people have called for Hansi Flick to do that a little bit with um, Alfonso Davies. So it's it's happening across all clubs and it's being able to utilise these players a little better or a little more convincingly when the going's tough, which it is at the moment. Yeah, I absolutely love what um, Leipzig have done with Angelino and um, what a pickup he has been for the club. King through to the edge of the area, Verts tries to centre it through. That's a wonderful touch and still going. The back heel is brilliant. Nadia Mamiri with something special inside the opening 10 minutes here. What a wonderful goal that is, his second of the season. Yeah, that was Probably the goal of the season, maybe already an early Pushkas award, that goal by Amiri. Fantastic for Leverkusen. Unfortunately, Chris, in the end, um, Leverkusen have dropped points again. And um, some statements by Peter Bosch, if you, if you, uh, if you drop two te- games in a row, it's a top, you're not a top team. And in the end, Bayern Munich will win the championship anyhow. Is this the sort of stuff that you want to hear from a manager from any of the under Bundesliga clubs, especially considering in a year where Bayern drops so many points, it appears? Yeah, I think that's a, a real frustration statement from Peter Bosch because we know how well he sets his, his team up and I think he's been a great coach whilst he's at Leverkusen. I just think on this particular day, his tactics were let down by his players. There's, there's normally an area where you can say a coach didn't do particularly well, maybe didn't make the right substitutes, maybe had the setup wrong, but I thought they started very well. And, and yeah, <laughs> the goal by um, Amiri is um, is top-notch, isn't it? Can we say it's goal of the year already, like two days in? It's probably up there. But after that, they sort of didn't hammer home that advantage. They let Frankfurt come back in, and then there's the, the own goal just after the start or not long after the restart. And it was... Um, it was a frustrating day for everybody associated with Leverkusen. And you really wanted them to win this particular game, having lost the way they did in the final game um, of last year before we broke for the winter. That very first part, no, we're not the half season yet, but that first part before the winter break, it was crucial that they won this week and this first match day back. And unfortunately, they haven't. And I think Peter Bosch's words were, were spoken, uh, born out of frustration. It is it is frustrating. I find when you have other managers and clubs, you know, voice the sort of things that Bosch is stating because it. We all, we're going to talk about Bayern a little bit later in the podcast, and yes, they had a brilliant forty-five minutes. But I do have the sense that this Bayern side is vulnerable, and then other clubs, you know, putting in the sort of performances that. Leverkusen have put in throughout the entire year and then of course you can lose to Bayern um, although we, we spoke on two episodes ago how that how unnecessary that defeat was and then you have a, a performance against like the one against Frankfurt and I feel it's very frustrating when you then have managers saying look in the end Bayern will be first anyways and while there is some truth to that because of financial the financial might that Bayern display it's just not the attitude that you want to have. You often speak about Jurgen Klopp and how he beat Bayern another way, right? 
And I feel like that's just missing at the moment. And it's been missing for many years. And I feel like this year, especially, it it, it hurts to see because you just get the sense um, that this, this buy-in side is vulnerable and that this vulnerability is just not explored enough by um, other teams. But um, Chris, need to talk about Eintracht Frankfurt. They lost one of their strikers, Bas Dawson, in the winter, and it really appears that they want to bring in another forward, even though they have been brilliant on this match day. There's been a lot of talk about Joshua Zirkse, um from Bayern Munich going to Eintracht Frankfurt. A young striker who needs playing time. But is this the sort of signing you know that could help Frankfurt in the long term, medium term, short term? I think short term it would definitely help them. Um, although <laughs> they managed to get the goals they needed on this particular match. But historically over the season, they have struggled, especially if you compare them to the season before and even the one before that, when they had that really exciting, expansive football with the likes of Sebastian Haller, etc. So I think him coming in, it, it would be good. He needs the minutes. He needs to play. Um, he will get that. He'll be playing with some great players around him and the likes of Silva, likes of Kamada, um, there are some very good players at Eintracht Frankfurt. And yeah, they, they need something, don't they, in order to hit the same sort of consistency level that we've been seeing of late. So yeah, I would like I'd like to see him move there because he's not getting the minutes he needs at the moment. And when you're a young player and you're looking for minutes, it's the best thing to get is to be able to go to a team who play an, an exciting way. Um, Frankfurt do play a nice, exciting brand of football. You know, they don't sit back, they, they don't wait and hit teams on the break they do like to play on the front foot and yeah it would be good to see them fill that gap that they've got at the moment we're going to talk about Bayern's transfer policy in in a few moments when I look at Joshua Zirkse he's a player that last year was I thought had had that was on the brink of coming out I know there was there was problems with him in, in Bayern's second side and um that Flick when Flick pulled him up into the first team and he came on he scored those late goals um, that a lot of people that covered Bayern Munich too or Bayern München Amateure, right, as they're also known, were a little bit surprised about his output considering how he had done previously in the Regionalliga. But um, the fact that he hasn't really been getting the minutes this year and that he hasn't really been playing enough, um, you know, they, when you hear the stories in the background, you kind of realize there must have been something that is happening and maybe a change of scenery for a young player is is something that really helps them, um, especially when you're 19-year-old. I know that the the big problem that they have in the negotiations between Frankfurt and Bayern right now is the structure of the deal that Frankfurt want to have some sort of control of retaining the player after a loan deal and Bayern are obviously quite high on six and they want to, want to keep control over the player, over the asset, right? So it will be interesting to see if Freddy Bobic and uh, Hassan Salihamidzic can get a deal done because um, a lot of it will depend on um, buyback options, loan options, maybe even like a, a deal where, Bayern, where Frankfurt will buy the player and Bayern have an option to return him. So it will be interesting to see whether they get this done. But you mentioned uh, Andre Silva. I know that I was asked on on Twitter how Andre Silva has been doing. And I, I think nine goals in 13 games. That's brilliant, Chris. So it really is really um, a backup option or secondary option that Frankfurt are looking for when it comes to forwards, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is because, I mean, he's been a complete revelation since the season started. Not only has he got those nine goals um, in the Bundesliga, he's, he's got his Pokal goal, his Pokal assist. So in 14 games, he's got 10 goals and four assists. So he's had a goal involvement in every single game he's played in this season on average, which is pretty good going for, for anybody. But whenever I've had the, the pleasure of watching um, Frankfurt live this season, Silver has always been a tremendous threat to any opposition he's played against. So. Um, He's just one of these players that Frankfurt seem to be able to bring through. They seem to be able to find. They they lose a couple of uh, of forwards, um, Jovic, Haller, and you think, how are they ever going to replace that? And then they bring someone like Andre Silva through. So um, I think it just underlines good how good their um, recruitment policy is and how good they are at spotting um, talent to, to work in the league. So, yeah, he's, he's been a great asset. And I think he would do well to look around and see what's happened with other players um, who's who's come to replace and seeing where they are now in terms of their career and how it potentially have stalled. I think sometimes players, especially when they come from um, other parts of Europe, look at the Bundesliga as maybe a way to a different league. And I think at the moment, that's maybe not the way to look at it because it's such a competitive league. And I think Andre Silva would, he would do a lot better by staying at Frankfurt and giving them the consistency they need because they do need it. It's all well and good being able to recruit, but having to rebuild your forward line all the time does become a bit of a nose eventually. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think Frankfurt's biggest struggles have been the, the constant um, turnover in the squad and, um, you know, I know and understand that that Freddy Bobic sees that as a way of growing the club, but it's it's a tough road. And um, the next club that we're talking about just knows that also well, although they do it on a higher, bigger level, and that's Borussia Dortmund. And there's a lot that we need to talk about when it comes to Borussia Dortmund. But I want to start with a positive, Chris, and that's Jaden Sancho, who scored a beautiful goal today. Um, I think it was... You know, one of the best goals I've seen in the match day. Unfortunately, Amiri also scored one that's even better, but it was a beautiful goal and he assisted on the second. So that's a goal and assist that, that brings him um, to five goals and nine assists in 19 games across the entire across all competitions. Um, one goal and five assists in 12 Bundesliga games. When you, you know, when you look at those numbers on its own, that's actually not that bad, isn't it? Yeah, I think unfortunately, Jaden Sancho gets judged on his past seasons. So, I mean, you're quite right. If if you look, his assists aren't that bad, really. He's got nine over 19 games in all competitions. Okay, he's a little bit lower down on his goals, um, but it's a strange season. But it's because he's hit those highs the last couple of seasons that everybody goes, well, Sancho, you know, he's, why is he not in double figures already? And it, it's it's a strange one. People say he doesn't look happy. I think personally, you look at the goal he scored, he, you know, he looks happy. He missed a really good opportunity in the first half. Um, and that's a player playing with a lack of confidence, but his raw talent is still there. When he breaks away and he scores that second goal, um, it is a really good run and finish. His run before the ball comes to him it is top notch. His feet inside the box are brilliant to shift the ball and to shift the play. Um, and before that, if you look at him, whenever he got the ball, he had um, Schlager, Gerthardt and Brecklow around him. It was a three-on-one press. And I defy any player in world football, even Ronaldo and Messi, to break out of a three-man press every single time. And 
it was quite interesting that Terzic swapped um, him and Reina early on, and that gave Sancho a bit more of a free license, and it also freed up Reina. But yeah, I mean, for a positive, if you're looking for it, Sancho today looked as good as he's ever done, and that was his overall movement. Um, his ability on the ball as well, I think. And I know you might agree with me, Manu. I, I think he's a crowd player. He's one of these players that plays his best. When he scores a goal like he did today, he would have been in front of the yellow wall, jumping and going crazy. And I think he's one of those players that misses that. And he misses that he misses that atmosphere to drive him on because it is quite a clinical and stale environment that players are playing in at the moment. I don't want to call him a circus attraction um, because obviously he's much more than that, but he does have that attraction. You know, he, I don't want to say he is a circus attraction, but he is like a circus attraction in, in all the positive ways because he's the sort of pay, player people pay to see play and he plays for people's pleasure in a lot of ways, right? And I think you're, you're quite spot on. Um, there is, I think there is players that get positively affected by having an atmosphere in the ground and he he's definitely one of them and i think it's going to be a very tough learning process for him um to to deal with this and maybe throughout his career will actually be be helpful for him to have gone through this covid period because this is not forever you know this will end and people will be back in stadiums at some point and um i just you know, I put a smile on my face seeing him play the way he did today. And you're quite right. Sometimes he gets surrounded by four or five players. And it's very difficult because people now know that Sancho is is the guy that makes it happen for Dortmund, right? And in many ways, it's been very easy to shut Dortmund's play down by shutting down Sancho. And I think that's just the reality that he will have to come to terms with, whether we be that Dortmund, Manchester United, or wherever he will end up in a few years so yeah, I think you know you're quite right with with that assessment. Um, I think it's something that Dortmund in general will have to deal with, and I'm not sure if Eden Terzic is the man going forward that will fix this club. Um, you know, you were saying before the podcast, Champions League is really all they can hope for at the moment. It does feel a little bit like Stuttgart 2.0, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Eden Terzic is the answer um, to Dortmund's long term problems, but what I do think. He, he may be the answer for is this interim period between um, having to let Lucien Favre go because he pretty much lost the dressing room and he lost the players. He couldn't carry on because I think Champions League qualification would have been in doubt with that. They had to make a change. They had to freshen it up. Who could they bring in? It had to be someone that knew the club, knew the setup, knew the players, could work with them originally um, or initially and straight away. And it had to be someone who had his own ideas of football. And obviously, Edin Terzic um, ticks all those boxes. He's a Borussia Dortmund fan as well. So who more passionate to, to lead your club from the bench than, than, a, than a fan, than someone who wants to be in the stadium and wants a club to do well? Um, I think his idea of playing football is there. Um, it's a big step up to be asked to, uh, you know, to move from an assistant to a head coach. But this game, I'm not sure they would have won it two, three weeks ago um, or four weeks ago under Lucien Favre, when it was nil-nil, I think Wolfsburg score and, and they end up getting beat. Rather like we saw what happened um, against Stuttgart, that there was a collapse. And I think they because they've got that change on the dugout, I think the players are psychologically a little bit 
more able to go the the distance now and there's a lot that Dortmund needs to improve on but I just feel that two three four weeks ago this is a game they would have lost and it's a game they won 2-0 and it's against a very very good Wolfsburg side who have exceeded everybody's expectation under Glasner so far. I put it to the penalty and with the head it's two! Bayern Munich nil, Mainz two! Would you believe it? Yeah, this is the new normal now. Um, Bayern Munich concede first, not once, but twice. That's the first time since 1988 that Bayern Munich come back from a 2-0 deficit at halftime to win a game. Uh, Chris, you tweeted out that start right at the end of the match. You were also saying to me in our chat, this is the new normal now. Eight games in a row that Bayern have conceded first. This was a story of two halves, wasn't it? In so many ways, Bayern were just very poor in the first half. Mainz were excellent in the se in the first half. Then in the second half, Mainz just completely fell apart and Bayern did what they always do. But um, so much to unpack. Is this just is this just the Bayern that we now see? That they have their obvious vulnerabilities and they just have also their individual strength to overcome these uh, these vulnerabilities tactically? Yeah, I think it's a good mixture of being one of the best teams in the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll find out in February if if they are the best team in the world. Can't see anybody stopping them in that competition in front of them. And I think it's all built on the fact of, of last season, winning everything in sight and, of course, carrying that on in to the Super Cup this season as well. They They are a really good side and I think they're vulnerable. But, I mean, everybody knows I'm a Liverpool supporter, so I can take this back to last season with Jurgen Klopp. It didn't bother me if Liverpool went 1-0 down because I knew they would win. And I'm pretty much sure that every Bayern fan listening to this feels the same now. Okay, so we're 1-0 down. Okay, so we're 2-0 down. But it was 2-0 at half-time, and that gives you 45 minutes for the world's best players um, to, to mount a comeback. And they did that. And... I think it's probably more of a warning sign for them in Europe because if I'm one of the, the managers in the, the last 16 teams of the Champions League, now I'm looking at this and seeing how we can get ahead of Bayern because no disrespect to Mainz, um, but they did show a way to exploit Bayern, but they just didn't have it within them to be able to defend that in the, in the end against the juggernaut that is Bayern. But there will be teams in the Champions League who will look at this and go, yeah, there's little bits and there's little areas here we can take from that. But you can't argue with how good Bayern are. Even when they look poor, Flick gets them in, half-time, rebriefs them, makes a couple of key tweaks, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, Robert Lewandowski scoring braces, it's 5-2. Um, there was a goal disallowed via VAR as well. It could have been, It could have been a lot worse. But don't take away how good Mainz were today. It's just that Bayern is so much better. Even even when they have a bad day, it looks like it's only a bad 45 minutes. I thought it was quite impressive how they just go in a different gear. And you just know when that first goal goes in early in the second half that they are going to come back. It was then just a matter of time for them to do it. What I did find remarkable, Chris, was that that game that you tweeted out between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich back in 1988 on match day 34. They were actually down 3-0 at halftime. And one of the little statistics that I saw was Lothar Matthäus scored his 17th goal on that match day. Um, you know, never really quite stood out for me as being a big, big game scorer. But apparently that season he was very productive. Um, 
something that they didn't face in 1988, but they're facing very much this year, and you already alluded to it, is that Bayern Munich are facing a massive fixture congestion. And how often can you really come come up with a result like that? Because it is tiring to be down 2-0 at halftime and then come back and having to go into that extra gear and being pushed a little bit further in, than they were usually in the Bundesliga. And there's an entire tournament that they have to play in February. Granted, it's probably going to be only two matches, but still, that's an extra two matches. There's a DFB Pokal match that they have to make up for, right? Um, on That's on February 13th. So there's a lot of games, and then the Champions League is coming back. So it's a lot of games for them to make up, and every, always having to come back. Um, sooner or later, someone is going to get the better of them. And is, is it just a matter of time, or is this something that Bayern is so confident with now that they can just do this over and over again? I think they're very confident in their ability at the moment, but you're quite right. It, when we get into the likes of February, that's when the Champions League starts again, and the FIFA Club World Cup is going to be at some point in February. Um, the Pokal will be into its latterish stages, and then you know there's there's a lot of games in fe- the back end of January to the start of March. There is a lot of games. I think there's like six or seven games to come, and they've got they've got to play some okay teams in that but the very end of that they they've got you know the classicer against Dortmund and I think this is why it's frustrating when you hear what the sort of stuff Peter Bosch has said because now is the time to be hounding Bayern on the pitch because because of that fixture backlog if I'm Hansi Flick and if I'm the Bayern players or I'm anything to do with the, the Bayern setup I'm saying hang in there hang in now because if we can build up a three four five point gap we might just need to be able to soak that pressure up come February, come March. And if they've got the ability to do that, it's going to maybe have a familiar ending come the end of the season. But if Leipzig, um, Leverkusen, <laughs> Wolfsburg, Union Berlin, Dortmund, if they can just keep on playing the way they can, it will give Bayern a real sweat uh, when we move into spring. And, you know, I don't want to sound anti-Bayern because I'm not, but it would be nice to have a new winner for the league for everybody, but especially for the league um, as a whole. Um, but yeah, at the minute, Bayern just look like they can do what they want. Um, and it doesn't really matter because, you know, they've only lost that one game, no matter how poor they've been playing in the Bundesliga. They've just lost that one game on match day two against Hoffenheim, where they were absolutely battered 4-1. Since then, they haven't been at their best, but they've managed to win 5-0, 4-3, 5-2. Um, come back to, you know, draw that wonderful game 3-3 against Leipzig they are doing what they need to to see themselves through a really difficult period and they're top of the league and you can't ask any more than that. The one concern that I have maybe and alluded to it already today on Twitter was that, you know, I'm I'm not convinced by Bayern Munich's depth signings and that's uh, Douglas Costa, <laughs> Eric Maxim Chubumoteng, who, who must have the best agent on the planet. Um, the clubs that he's been at, um, remarkable. And Abuna Sabu didn't even make the bench today, and there's, there's various problems with him. Um, Bayern have signed Abuna on a four-year contract. They paid eight million euros for him. Um, he looks he looks like a play that's a transfer that they might regret. Uh, thankfully, with Douglas Costa and Chubomoting, Chubomoting on a free transfer. Um, Douglas Costa on loan looks like Douglas Costa will be sent back to Juventus at the, the end of the season because that's I, I I think he offers them depth, but not much more. And that's where I'm just worried that maybe they they lack a little bit something in that squad. You know, there, there just seems to be something missing sometimes. And um, yes, Leroy Sané has been better. Um, but, you know, you Kingsley Coman is out right now. It just feels like there is, is some kind of creativity, create, 
creative spark missing from the bench. And um, it, it will be interesting to see how they're going to overcome that. But Chris, speaking of transfers, um, David Alaba. This is something that if I was a Bayern fan, that would worry me too. Because as of January 1st, he is able to negotiate with other clubs. There is very strong rumors linking him to um, Real Madrid. I know Zinedine Zidane and David Alaba have spoken with each other. There's not a formal offer on the table yet because David Alaba's agency um, are, is asking for a lot of money, um, a lot more money than most clubs in the world can afford, um, including Bayern Munich, who have obviously walked away from a deal. How big of a problem becomes this? Is if the longer that this whole David Alaba situation goes on, how bigger, how much bigger of a problem does it become? Not just in the dressing room, but also in the relationship between the front office and the club, and also between Hansi Flick and the front office, because obviously Hansi Flick would like to keep David Alaba. Um, this seems to be something that could be a little bit of a lame duck situation, right? Yeah, I think it's more because of what Alaba offers, which is obviously he's a fantastic centre-back, but he's got that versatility to play left-back, or you can even push him into central midfield at the moment. And if you look at who um, Bayern have got in those particular positions, okay, you've got Alfonso Davies, who's currently one of the best left-backs in the world, and Lucas Hernandez can play there. Um, but both have had their struggles this season with injury, and it wouldn't be incomprehensible to see either or both of them injured at some point as the season goes on and and then looking into next season as well because the knock-on effect of this crazy season and the back end of last season is that there is literally no break we go into the Euros and then we go back into the next season and then before you know it we're into a World Cup so these players don't have time to rest and recuperate so I think for me defense is a key area and centre-backs a very key area because there's not that many great centre-backs in the world. But I also think football's lacking a lot of really good left-backs who can play that role naturally. And if you've got someone like Alaba who can tick both of those roles quite easily and then has a versatility to play in central midfield as well, he is a really big loss. The only way I can see it won't really affect the relationship between you know the offices and, and the pitch is if um, Samah Haladic and his friends can find a replacement. But... Once again, you're asking them to replace David Alaba and he is a great centre-back and we've seen clubs throughout Europe struggle to sign a good centre-back. I mean, Manchester City are probably on about eight gazillion pounds at the moment trying to find the best defenders they can get and it's a hard area to fill. So if you're going to lose somebody as key as that, um, it can be a problem going forward because what Bayern have always been built on is a rock-solid defence and maybe the loss of Alaba will give that a little... Um, chink to the armor because as I say some of the other areas Nicholas Suler as well can potentially pick up an injury here and there Jerome Boateng is good but we saw for the first goal was it a foul was it not a foul but he was still out muscled there's a lot of areas that could come back to bite them this season the next season and the season after yeah in- interesting time Chris we got um, some questions um, and one coming from Dom Edmondson who you, I think you met actually at one point and he asks, and I'm going to give you this question because it's about Union. What's been Union's reason for doing so well this season? When they were promoted, it was said the crowd would help uh, at the Alte Försterei become a fortress. But obviously this season, no crowd. So what helped the club? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, I, I've met Dom. We've had a few drinks in Leipzig back end of last season when we were all still allowed to travel and we were all still allowed to go and watch football. And it was actually after the Union Berlin game um, that, that I met with him in, in one of the bars in Leipzig. So... Yeah, it's a great question. And I think everybody thought this year that 
Union Berlin might have a problem because of the lack of fans in the Alta Forest Drive. But you look at the look at the results they've had, and you know, bar that early opening defeat against Augsburg, and then sort of they fell off the radar away uh, to Hertha in that derby, where obviously they had you know players sent off. But outside of that, they've been tremendous, and. I don't know what's really geared them on. You could say at the start of the season it was it was Max Cruiser because everything that was going well was coming through him. But then since he's been missing, <laughs> they've hardly put a foot wrong. In fact, I thought they were tremendous against Dortmund. I personally feel they've got a real family environment there. Awonyu's spoken about that as well. And I think that um, a few other players have, like Christopher Lenz has also spoken about the conglomerate of of strength that they've got there. And sometimes the you know, the sum is greater than the parts contained within. And I think this is a really good example of that on paper. And, you know, we always say football is not played on paper here, but on paper, Neon Berlin should be 12th or below really, but they're not because they've got this fantastic spirit powered by Urs Fischer's coaching ability, which has sent them into, you know, the next level. And they play a brave lineup, Manu. Sometimes they play a 3-5-2, which is a really attacking formation for a side of Union Berlin standing. And I think sometimes fortune favours the brave. And this season, they're one of those sides that's just playing once a week and can manage that and can be as brave as they want. And they're they're reaping all the rewards from it. Yeah, I couldn't have put it together better. Um, the next question is from Sam of Tandon. Should Bayern change the game plan or keep playing their way, keeping in mind the Champions League ties coming up? And it's difficult to turn around the tie if they keep conceding the first goal. Uh, I'm going to answer that. I think... You know, Hansi Flick has a very clear game plan and we spoke great lengths earlier in the show about how it is going to be very difficult to keep up this sort of, of playing style, right? Can they change the game plan though? I don't think it's possible because it's it's just the Bayern way. Bayern is playing this dominant attacking style and they're always going to be the team that is going to want the ball the most, right? We have seen um, coaches come in and trying to stay, change the style and they, they failed disastrously. So... I think this is the way it is, and um, they're going to, to live and die by this tactic. Um, then, final question for today, Chris, comes from Fitz Baldauf, and he's asking, what do Bayern do at right back going forward? Pavard is struggling, Saar isn't it, we've spoken about him earlier, Süle is out of position. Should they put Kimmich back there? Well, I mean, as long as they're winning, no, because I think um, Kimmich is, although he's great at the back, I think he's thriving in this more midfield role. He's if he's not scoring goals, he's the pass before the assist. I think he's he has come in and he's taken that Thiago role on all on his own and he's become that real creative linchpin that um, links defence to attack. So for them to drop him back, I think might take some of that away. And, you know, they've spent big um, buying on, on Pavard and Saar and it's not really worked out but then players do take a bit of time to settle in Benjamin Pavard's a World Cup winner he's, you know, he is a good player he's just not hit those heights and Buna Saar you, you talked about before I think he's going to take a little bit of time to settle and they have let themselves quite light in the right back area the only other player I can think of off the, off the top of my head is just Chris Richards obviously a 20 year old American who can play at right back should he have to but you know, even then, he's, he's a centre-back by right. And to throw him into that mix this particular part of the season, I think might be um, might be a suicidal thing for Bayern to do. But, 
yeah, it's an it's an issue they're going to have to address. And I think it makes it even more of a problem when you throw in what we were talking about a little bit before about losing David Alaba. Because not only will you not have enough right backs, you're going to lose a centre back who can play at left back. So yeah, defensive issues for Bayern to iron out either this coming transfer window to get the um, wheels set in motion for if they can't buy in January to buy in the summer. Well, that is it from the Bundesliga Gegenpressing podcast. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.